Okay, so the reading is from Luke 6, starting at uh, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So, this is a leaf blower for those of you who are wondering, and it will come in handy at some stage. Christianity has not always been known as one of the world religions. I don't know if you know, knew that. Um, in fact, the concept of religions was introduced, in a sense, by the, the, Christian, the Christian world, by Christendom. Up until about AD 300, Christianity was known as the way. And if you read in the book of Acts, there's these multiple moments where, and we'll look at it just now, where basically people who follow Jesus were known as people of the way. They were famous in their societies and in their communities for living the way. In this particular and unique way that was distinct from, it was different to the surrounding culture. They were the people who were known as the way. It's a fascinating study. They only became Christians a little later. In fact, it was rather an interesting moment in AD 300 where Constantine, who was the Roman emperor of the time, he became a follower of Jesus. He became a Christian. And one of the most tragic things happened in the history of the church. He made it the state religion. Now, many people go, wow, it would be amazing if we could have a president who would make the state religion Christianity not so much. In fact, quite the opposite. What ended up happening was that these people who were part of the way, they were those who followed Jesus wherever he took them. They did whatever he would do. They lived in a way that was fundamentally surrounded about this person named Jesus Christ suddenly became a cultural title for your religion. And suddenly, your neighbor down the road, who you knew wasn't part of the way a couple of weeks ago, is now a Christian. Because Constantine said, we must all be Christians. And so they go, yes, sir, I do what my emperor says. And suddenly, no longer are people known for the way, they are Christians. And Christians are a wide variety of people, some of whom are deeply dedicated to following the way of Jesus, some of whom, when they are filling out their passport details, tick Christian. And not much looks different from them to their neighbor. There isn't a fundamental sense of difference. Neil Cole writes a haunting thing. He says this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Have we got a PowerPoint? No. No such luck. Okay, no problem. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. That's a haunting thought that actually our discipleship will be, our church will be evaluated by the quality of 
our disciples, of the way that we as people are dedicated to our followership of Jesus. Now maybe, which is uh, hopefully likely, some of you have been dragged along by your friends and you're pitched up at church, it's the new year, you're like, cool, let me just pitch up, they invite me every time, I'll go at the beginning of the year and get this invite out the way and then I can keep going. Let me speak to you for a moment. Maybe you're a bit cynical about Christianity. You've got some big questions about who is Jesus and is it even worth following him and, and I'm not even sure if I trust in him. One of the, the major problems or challenges for the, uh, that, that the church has faced is that there are many who call themselves Christians, but many who don't follow Christ. And there's a grave difference between a Christian and a follower of Christ. And what that means for you is that you might feel a little like Gandhi sometimes. Mahatma Gandhi said, hey, I love your Christ, I'm just not so crazy for your Christians. And, and, and maybe I could go a little further. Would you have a little grace for Christians? Christians don't claim ever to have it all right, by the way. Christians only claim to have found the one who helps them on the way, found one who actually offers them grace because they don't have it all right. I wish I had had a moment with Gandhi. I wish I could have said, hey, Mr. Gandhi, you've done some amazing stuff, but I know you don't like the Christians, but, but let me just tell you that. Christians have never claimed to be perfect. Christians have only claimed to have found the one who is perfect love and who are trying their best to follow him in his grace, and, and we're trying our best. Hey, sorry if some have done you harm. I hope that doesn't get between you and a relationship with him because he's the best thing that could ever happen to you, Mr. Gundy. And he's the best thing that could ever happen to you, ma'am or sir, whoever you are who maybe doesn't yet trust in Jesus. He introduces us to a way. He introduces us into what he described as the way of life. And we're going to embark on a journey as a church which begins to ask the question, how do we move from living in this conspiracy of mediocrity whereby we say, yes, I'm Christian, to moving into full-fledged, healthy, whole followership of Jesus where the, the flame of our hearts are burning with love for Jesus and we are stepping out of what many people describe as getting a little boring. Some people get bored with their faith. I had a moment recently where I was sitting in the water. I surf as much as I can. And the other day I was surfing. I saw a buddy from 15 years ago and I said, hey, bro, how are you doing? And we chatted for a while. And then I said, and, and church, um, obviously uh, we hadn't seen each other for a long time. I've changed suburbs. I said, are you still going to church? He says, oh, no, no. I think I've grown out of that. Oh, kind of had the wind taken out of my sails a little bit. And then I began to think maybe... Maybe you've been doing the cultural Christianity thing, because that can get quite boring, actually. Just, you know, do the basics. Just, just keep your nose clean. Try not to do any silly stuff. Try to sort of, you know, live a little bit like your imagination would tell you is a, is a pretty good lifestyle. Maybe, you know, pick up the Bible from time to time. Statistically, uh, evangelical Christians in America, uh, only 30% of them say they read their Bibles a reasonable amount of times each week. That means 70% don't actually know what Jesus is like. How can you be a Christ follower if you actually haven't seen what he does day by day? You haven't actually witnessed his power and, and watched him at work and said, I, I want to do that stuff. If you're not convinced that this concept of the way exists, Acts chapter 9 verse 2, um, it says that uh, Paul would go around trying to find any Christians that he could, anyone who belonged to the way. Both men and women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. They were known as following the way. 
we're going to look at the way. We're going to get caught up in the man who leads the way. His name is Jesus, but Mark Tromper, a long time ago, when I first met him, it was probably a couple of months in, and we were having one of those lovely heart-to-heart conversations just about Jesus, the Bible, and life, and following Jesus. And I remember him saying to me, and it, it stuck with me, he said, you know, when I hear the name Jesus, I would love to know that something in the back of my, the hairs on the back of my neck prick up. When I hear the name of Jesus, I want something in my ears to stand up a little and go, you're talking about my king. You're talking about the one I love. You're talking about my leader, the one who's going to coach me, who shows me where true life is. I'm listening. There's a sense that when the, the name of Jesus, the one who leads the way, is spoken about, something in our hearts begins to leap. We begin to go, Who's speaking about him? What could you be saying? He is the life that I need. I wonder if sometimes we've just grown a little cold. We've fallen into what John Tyson calls the conspiracy of mediocrity. We're just okay to just kind of live it out okay, try to pay the bills, get things going, read your Bible from time to time. I think that could get boring. I think you could grow out of that, to quote a friend. John Wimber, when he was first coming to faith, I read his biography. I love trying to read a biography uh, each holiday. Uh, My buddy Bruce Martin introduced me to that. He says, December's, he reads a biography. So December's, I've tried to read a biography. I read John Wimber's. He started the Vineyard Movement. And one of the amazing things about John Wimber was that he really experienced a whole bunch of God at work in his life, and he he saw so much of the move of God through his life. But in his early days of of following Jesus, he would go to his leaders who were very conservative, and he would hold up his Bible. Where's my Bible mix? It's somewhere around there. And he would would hold up his Bible, and he'd say, hey, when are we going to do the stuff that's in the book? You know, the the stuff, the the stuff, and he would call it the Jesus stuff. When are we going to do this stuff? And as leaders, we go, no, 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 we, we study this stuff. We, we don't do this stuff. We, we look at it. We just, we study it. And he would, but that's, this is the Jesus stuff. Aren't we meant to do what he said? And he would feel this urgency. And eventually he would start a movement of churches that became more and more excited, not about talking about the stuff, but actually doing the stuff, actually living in the way of Jesus. I think we as the church have been lulled into a false sense of followership of Jesus if we call ourselves Christians. Maybe if we we kind of are associated with some white hot on fire for Jesus Christians. Jesus said in this passage we just read, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's amazing. I mean, that's fundamentally what a Christian is. You say, hey, I'm I'm allied to the Christian faith. I'm allied to, to Jesus. I believe he's, he's the one, you know. But he says, but then why do you, you know, not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Welcome to 2023. We are going to put the words of Jesus into practice. And no, I'm not going to hold your hand through every single moment we do it. You're going to read your Bibles. We are going to read our Bibles. And God, by the Spirit, is going to lead us as we go through the Bible together and alone in our own time. And we're going to look at what He says, and we're going to try to do what He says. And I believe that a fresh wave of fire and joy is going to wash upon our lives because we are going to experience not what it means to think about the stuff. We're going to start doing the stuff as John Wimber called, the Jesus stuff. Maybe look to the person next to you and say, hey, let's get started with the Jesus stuff. 
Gee, you sound really excited to get started with the Jesus stuff. One of the amazing things that happened when Constantine basically came in and said, okay, Christianity is the state religion, there were a bunch of people called the church fathers and mothers who looked at this and said, this is a problem. They saw that, that basically Christianity had been mainstreamed, it had been commercialized, it had been turned into the state religion, and so now anyone and everyone would say, hey, I'm a Christian. And so these father, desert fathers and mothers decided we need to uh, preserve the purity of what it means to actually follow the way. And so they would move out to the fringes of society, knowing that there was only one way they could hold on to what it really meant to be fully devoted to Jesus, to, to live a life of purity, to live a life of holiness, to really uh, let God lead and guide. And so some of them went to uh, probably unhealthy extremes. Um, but nonetheless, they were the people who preserved in many ways what it really meant to follow Jesus. And so they would write about uh, their experiences as they held on to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They were people who were fully devoted to the life of Christ. And there's many writings. You can read the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and you can read their writings, and some of them are just beautifully deep in the way that they had relationship with God. They knew how to, to really tap into a, a, a relationship where they could hear God's voice. They would long to be people of the presence of God, long to really love people rightly and help people into the kingdom. And there's an interaction between these, this junior kind of desert father and this uh, senior, more seasoned man, Abba Lot and Abba Joseph. And the story goes like this. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, which is just a Jewish for father, as far as I can say, I do my little office. An office was his daily routine of, you know, a, a procedure of being with God. He, would, he says, I read my Psalms. I fast a little bit, I pray, and I meditate. So he says, I, you know, I do my devotions just like the pastors tell me. I've got my Bible app, it's working well. I, you know, I switch it on, I try to go there most days. He says, I pray, I fast from time to time. Wow, that's, that's probably more you know, devoted than many in the room. He, he, he actually stops eating for a day or two, and he dedicates that food time to really hungering for God. He, there's something real going on in his faith. He's going, I, I want to know God. I fast a little bit, I pray, and I meditate. I live in peace with others as far as I can. I purify my thoughts. So he's going, actually, I'm also trying to keep my, my mind out of trouble. I don't want to you know, look at any dodgy stuff. I want to keep sure that you know, this mind is, is pure. And he says, well, tell me, Father, what more can I do? Then the old man, Abba Joseph, stood up stretched out his hands towards heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to him, If you will, you can become all fire. If you will, he actually said, you can become all flame. And he looks at this young guy and he says, Yo, you're keeping yourself out of trouble. But if you will, you can become all flame. You can live a neat little life, or you could set your heart ablaze for the love and the purposes of Jesus Christ, and you can see fresh wave of renewal that could come over your heart and a fresh dedication and devotion that will set your course on a whole new direction. If you will, you can become all flame. You can become all flame. And I want to invite us.
into the way. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, it's coming. When I leave, I'll send you my Holy Spirit. Who knows what happened when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples? Tongues of fire descended upon them. In fact, throughout the scriptures, there's these amazing moments where the power of God is symbolic with fire. I think of Moses where he gets spoken to out of a burning bush. I think of the Ten Commandments which were given on on a fiery mountaintop. I think of the pillar of fire that led the the Israelites uh, through uh, the desert at night. I think of how Elijah called fire down from heaven. How Isaiah, when he was called by God, received this this burning coal on his lips to purify him for the mission and the ministry God had called him. It's all fulfilled amazingly when the Holy Spirit comes on this young, fledgling church, 70-odd people in a room. They weren't in this level. They were up there where you guys are. It says they were in an upper room. And something like tongues of fire came and rested upon them. There was a sense of fire. There was a, a new heat that was burning up their souls. They were white hot with excitement for the purposes of God. I don't know why, and it's actually not your fault, I don't know if it's my fault. We were born into this conspiracy of mediocrity. Somehow, the church has just become just another religion. We tick Christian. We go, yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing I do. I'm I'm a Christian. Oh, there's the sweet people, you know, who who are Hindus and the lovely Muslims and whatever. and, And I happen to be born into this one. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Just another religion. What Jesus had in mind was a way that leads to life. What Jesus had in mind was a a people who would be separate from other people, not separate in, in that they wouldn't talk to others, separate in that they were distinct. They were God's holy people who were so unique and different in the way that they lived and they loved that other people looked in and said, I need what you've got. Or they were deeply offended and said, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but I can't leave you not saying anything because you are different. You're unique, you're separate, you're set apart. And somehow I think we've become too comfortable with a little bit of mediocrity. Load shedding's got to all of us, um, unless you have invested in, in uh, like solar, like many of my neighbors, um, but unfortunately not me yet. So we're brying more than usual, and uh, sometimes you need to get that fire heated up a little quicker. And so I've been struggling, because every now and again I get home from work, and the power's off for four hours, and Nix is going, we've got nothing to eat, it's not going to be hot. So I go, let's get this fire going. And uh, we light it up, and it's kind of getting towards bedtime, until... It's amazing. Thank you, Shane, for introducing me to this. It's got different settings, but put it all the way up. One, two, three, four, five. Switch this on. Put it onto the fire. You should have seen my kids. I lit it. It got going, and then you turn this thing on, and suddenly your fire is... Look at Grant can't even stand under the power of this thing. You blow this on a fire... And it turns from a little flickering flame into this furnace. My kids' eyes, they started stepping back as it got hotter and hotter and hotter. And they went, Dad, stop this thing. Because my furnace in my house was going to melt the chimney, I think, at some stage. 
Paul writes to Timothy and he says, fan into flame the gift of God that's been put inside of you. Get some sort of leaf blower out. I'll tell you two ways that I pull out the leaf blower in my own life and begin to turn that flame up in your life because you weren't made for mediocrity. You weren't made to call yourself a Christian. It's hurt the church and it's gonna hurt you and it may end you up in the board's place where you go, this just isn't cool. Christianity's boring. I think I agree. Keeping your nose clean, trying not to sin, do, you know, and living by association, pitching up twice a week to Sundays and Wednesdays. It's so minimal. It's so lifeless. You meant to pitch up at least twice a week. You meant to come with a white hot fire of a heart that comes and puts life into your life group so that when you pitch up, you don't just pitch up, you've got something to contribute because your soul has been put on fire by the flame of God's grace and you've set it going. And because of this mediocrity, we've all settled and we've gone, cool, as long as you're there as well. Let's not over-challenge each other. No, let's not. Like, it's awesome. Let's just spend all our money on ourselves. No, no, it's great. Don't worry about all the sick people that we walk past. We don't need to pray for them. Sure, Jesus healed them. Don't worry. It's just too awkward. What if Jesus doesn't answer those prayers? No, no, no. Let's just rather keep it clean. It's, like, it's really tough when you try to explain why your prayers weren't answered. Let's not do that. That's tiring. John Wimber would stand across from people, or sit, should I say, at a at restaurants, and he would hold up a menu, and, and he would say it like this. He would say, this is a menu. This is not the meal. It describes the meal, but you must order and eat before the transaction is complete. And then he says, don't be just satisfied with studying the menu, right? You can't just study the menu. Then he would hold up the Bible and declare that reading the Bible without doing the works described in it, was like reading a menu without eating the meal. How many of us maybe do try to read this thing, but then don't let it guide how we actually end up doing our lives. I find the three-part cycle of, of, of following Jesus seems to happen over and over. That seems to, I suppose, keep the fire burning. And receive, and then release and resist. Receive God's love. That's part of the, the journey of being in Jesus. You receive, you receive God's love. You learn to get over your stubbornness that says, God, I'm okay on my own. No, I receive your love. But then I release your love. I don't hold on to it. I become a, a releasing agent of generosity. I look in the world, I walk into a room and I ask this question, Jesus, what are you up to? I wanna be like Mary who, who walked into the room and saw Jesus. Martha gets all grumpy. She gets uh, frustrated. She's cleaning the house. She's organizing the food. She comes in, she has a hissy fit and says, Jesus, what's going on here, man? I'm doing all the hard work. Here she is, this woman sitting at your feet. Women are meant to be sorting out in the kitchen. Come on. Jesus looks at her and breaks all the protocols of the day and he says, Mary, she's chosen what's best. Martha, you're distracted by so much stuff and yet you haven't done anything in my presence. You haven't done anything in my presence. I felt like God say in this holiday, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is presence. Martha was distracted. Mary lived in the presence of Jesus. Mary wasn't scared to work. Mary knew that she was gonna need to brush her teeth and make some food for people. That stuff was coming. But she wanted to be a person who lived in the presence of God. She knew that her soul couldn't feed off of Netflix and mountaintop experiences and, and doing whatever else. She needed the presence of Jesus. 
She needed a heart that was on fire for him. And so she was going to do everything she could in all her moments of her life to live present to Jesus. Jesus said it himself, by the way. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He, he loved obeying his father. He loved looking at the scriptures, not just to study the menu, but to begin to eat, to eat of the menu, to begin to do it, to begin to look into the world and say, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you doing? I want to suggest two ways, two things you could do to begin to fan up this flame, to begin to switch on the leaf blower of your of your heart, to begin to turn it up and see some fresh heat happen in your life. And there's two simple things, obey and invite. Obey and invite. We're going to talk a bit more about obedience, but it's been such a fresh revelation, I want to speak into it at the moment, because I've become so comfortable, I think, in my faith in different seasons to read the scriptures, to know the life of Jesus, and then to go live my way, and to go do my own stuff and to be comfortable with it. And over the last little while, I keep asking the question. I've been sort of drinking the Kool-Aid of the way and trying my best to be in different spaces and to say, Jesus, help me. Help me to live your way. About uh, three, two weeks before Christmas, I had a, a very amazing moment, something I hope happens more and more in our church, not to me, but to each other. Somebody came to me and said, I've got a gift for you. I want to give you and your, your, your family a little gift. It's secondhand, but I think it's going to be a great blessing. So I said, wow, thank you. It was a lovely gift. Anyway, uh, get the gift. Our kids, it really was a gift to them. And uh, they use it once. Come home. It's broken. Never to be fixed again. So I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel good. And I don't actually process it because life's full. And I, I said to Nick, how did this happen? And, you know, it became you know, her and I a little bit of a, you know, Married couple moment, and uh, we have our disagreement, and I go, how did we let this happen? Oh, and I, I then put it down, and life carries on, a bedtime, blah, 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 blah. Christmas Day arrives, and uh, this person who gave the gift says, I, I just want to check up, how, how is it? How's it going? Are you enjoying it? Christmas Day of all days. Yes, it's great, thank you. <laughs> Promise you, no lying, this one is true. I lied. Yes, thank you. It's really great. Awesome. Happy Christmas. See you next year. Whew. Terrible. Your pastor lied. I, like, I, I think before I'd even walked away, I'm going, you've got to tell the truth. And somehow I got distracted. And I'm on holiday just knowing the back of my mind, when I see them, I've got to own up. No lies. It was, why would, I just don't want to ever lie. I've tried my best to make sure that whenever I, you know, there's untruth, go fix it. Make sure that there's no possibility of any deception. So I have this, I start drinking the, the Kool-Aid of the way. I'm starting to read the scriptures and I'm having such amazing moments. I've, the kids have been at home because it's school holidays, so I'm working in coffee shops. There's no better time to follow the way of Jesus than when you're in the world. John Wimber has one saying, he says, the meat is on the street. It's not in church buildings, it's, it's out. It's, it's out in that place. You want to follow the way of Jesus? Get into all your spaces, go to work, get in your car, chat to people. That's where Jesus is at work. So that's what I've found over the last couple of weeks. I'm freshly open, going, Jesus, where are you? I'm sitting in bootlegger. What are you up to? And I've had amazing moments. We have seen people who uh, have kind of walked through some really tough journeys, walking across and going, God, I don't need to see them, and I'm working. And he answers my prayer. I walk to pick and pay, and I get to see this person, get to chat to them and help them and minister them and, and invite them to church. I don't know if they're here. Um, 
and, uh, and just had God open doors. Anyway, I had another moment. I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I'm going, God, what are you up to in this space? And an old friend from many years ago walks in, and we start chatting. And it's just so sweet, and we're talking about all sorts of things until she tells me we're actually struggling to have children. We're really trusting God for a child. And you know, sometimes you're listening, and you're remembering in the back of your mind, Jesus moved to the place of discomfort. He, whenever you see Jesus at work, the boat is sinking, the people are scared, the guy's got a skin disease, the person has, you know, is a social outcast. Jesus' ministry, the, the fire seems to burn brightest in the places of discomfort. If you want to sit you know, in your Sunningdale home and close up all the doors, you're going to struggle to see the, the real fire of God. You'll get some moments, but most of the time you've got to get into the street because, as John Wimber said, the meat is on the street. You've got to go out. You've got to say, God, as I work into, walk into work, what are you up to? I want to be there. I want, to, I want to follow you in this place. So she comes and she tells me the story, and I'm sort of going, oh. You know when your heart starts beating, you're going, I'm living the way of Jesus. I know Jesus is the giver of life. He came out of a, out of a, a tomb for dead people, and he was alive. And, 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 and I've seen him heal, actually. I've seen one of the few miracles that I personally have seen happen is God give life in people's wombs. So I go, okay, this is really great chatting. Do you mind if I just interrupt and, and pray for you? It's like your heart beats a little faster because you're sitting in the coffee shop across from Checkers and there's people around. But I go, I just want to pray. You can keep your eyes open. It doesn't matter. God can hear all our prayers. Pretty ordinary. It doesn't matter. But I want to pray for you because God cares about you. And he wants to give you life. And he loves giving life. And, 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 and he cares about you. So can I pray? She said, of course you can pray. I would love your prayers. So we prayed. And I don't know the answer. I don't know what's come. Has God answered the prayer yet? That was five days ago. The point is, is I'm not holding out to do nothing, to live in the comfort zone. So I've been having moments like this, and you're wondering, well, what happened with the, the broken thing? So about a week ago, I'm walking out of the mall, and I'm still drinking the Kool-Aid of the way. I'm going, I'm ready, Jesus. And as I'm walking out, guess who walks in? <laughs> Thought I'd snuck out. They have a most amazing conversation. They're here today. You know who you are. I interrupt the conversation because to follow the way of Jesus, yes, it's, it's to, you know, release blessing to people. It's, it's to do a whole bunch of things, but it's also to push back darkness. To follow the way of Jesus is to push back darkness in the world when you see untruths and lies and, to, and, to, and, and whatever work of the enemy is happening. Sometimes the darkness is in me. I see these guys and we have an amazing chat and we're talking about life in church and holidays and all sorts. And I take a deep breath. Guys, I need to tell you something. I lied to you the other day. You asked me how the, the, the gift was going, and I said it was going well, and it's dead. It is not going well, and it will never go well again. It's unfixable, and I'm sorry. And we had a lovely, and, 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 and you know, lovely Christian people just go, it's okay, I'm so sorry, it's broken. But the beauty of that moment was sometimes we think I'm going to push back darkness because I'm going to heal the sick or raise the dead. And sometimes the pushing back of darkness is, I'm going to heal the sick in here. I'm going to get something that's dead. I'm going to bring it back to life. I'm going to say sorry if I need to say sorry. I'm going to follow the way of Jesus wherever it takes me, but I'm living in the light, and I want to burn with white hot fire for Jesus. We were all, we were all in tears, not chatting about, but chatting about the kingdom of God and the stuff of God soon after that. I don't know if that moment unleashed that moment, 
But the point is, is that sometimes God is just calling us to the basics. But he's calling us to not settle. If we read our Bibles and it doesn't convict us to tell the truth, if we read our Bibles and it doesn't call us to, to love on sick people, if we read our Bibles and we don't see people whose boat is sinking, whether it's their business or their family or their marriage, and we don't walk across the water to try to get to them by some effort of faith, we might be missing out on what Jesus is up to. We tend to stay comfortable and walk the long route round and I'll stay on the shore. And Jesus walked across the water. He got to them and he got them out of the boat and he got them, some of them even walking on water. I'm asking the question, how are you reading your Bible this year? What is it gonna look like? Are you reading your Bible? It might be a good place, but please don't read it like a menu and then sit down. Go to the waiter. Go to the Holy Spirit and say, help me because this stuff, it must be real. 2,000 years later, you by your spirit have grown the biggest movement the world has ever known. I want in. And I don't want it in a comfortable way. I want you to turn up the heat to my life. I want to obey you when you call me. If you call me to get onto the sinking boat, I'll go. If there's people who are hurting, I'll move towards them. I want to learn to love. I want to learn to push back darkness. I want to learn to release blessing. I want to learn to resist the temptation in my life. I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to follow you all the way. I'm turning on the leaf blower, and I'm in. It's probably the only way. In a world that's increasingly secularizing, it's going to increasingly either be you're all in or you're all out. I want to suggest this year, take an all-in moment. Firstly, consider obeying. Secondly, invite the help of the Holy Spirit by His grace. That's the only second thing, and it's a real simple one where you simply say, come, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Obeying Jesus can only happen because of his amazing grace. You can't even follow the way of Jesus if you haven't first entered in by the way of grace. Following the way of Jesus is about living in his ways, but you, don't need, you can't do this unless you've got power. And you can't do this unless you've walked through the gates. Jesus says, nobody comes to me unless you walk through me. I'm the one who lived the life you could never live. I'm the one who died the death that you should have died. I took the penalty on your behalf. So now you come into the way by free, sheer grace. You just say, I've got nothing. Here I am. Take it. Take my life. The only thing I get to give back to you is my whole life and my followership of you. It's my worship. We're going to worship this year. Nats, thanks for wherever you are. I feel like I can hear you, but I can't see you. There you are. You're setting us off in a tone of worship. Maybe you can bring the band up and we're gonna worship because the only way to, to live this life of living in his grace, following and obeying his ways is by grace, is by inviting the help of his Holy Spirit, of getting a fresh infilling of saying, God, help me, guide me, coach me. Where's the rest of the band? I feel like you're leaving your leader all alone. Where's Jesus going to be found this year? Probably not as much on the couch as out on the street, in your classrooms, in your offices, in your interactions with each other, with your kids. It wasn't just lazy kids rock leaders that we bring our kids to, to worship. We want our kids to catch worship. We want you to feel the pressure that your kids are watching. <laughs> That you're setting a tone freshly, that worship matters, that your heart is, is made for fire. Jesus is in those difficult teachings. He came and messed with the world. We've got a world that's messing with some stuff. 
think of teachings on sexuality and truth and right and wrong. Jesus is there, by the way. You don't have to run away. You can move towards it. Maybe you're in financial strain. Jesus moved towards people with deep financial stress. We're going to move towards each other in that. People in great lack. We as a family had an amazing opportunity. We were at a restaurant, and uh, this lady, our waitress, early 20s, Zimbabwean um, lady, and uh, she was frazzled. We just knew something was wrong, so we said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm okay, except somebody's just stolen my cell phone. So she's trying to do her job, but she also knows this brand new phone of hers that she's just got and probably worked her butt off to get is gone. And she's trying to now manage and see if there's CCTV cameras and there's grumpy people shouting at her and there's demanding clients like Nikki. Um. So I said to our girls, I said, girls, I think we could sort this out. Why don't we get her a phone? I say this tearfully because probably I haven't done enough of this. Probably I've done a lot of, I'm so sorry you've lost your phone. I might have even gone, we'll pray for you. Wow, that's a cool thing to do. You pray for the person and they still don't have a phone. Jesus looked at his disciples and there's this massive mountain of, of people and they've got no food. He says, send, the disciples said, Jesus, send them home. He looks at them, he says, you feed them. I felt like Jesus said, you give her a phone. Why wait? Why, why, who else is going to give her a phone? I wonder if we could have a year where we try to hear Jesus. A whole family had the privilege of taking her a phone. A couple of weeks later, got to meet her, hang out, chat, meet one of her friends, and give her a phone. I'm not telling that story. Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I'm telling you because I want to motivate us that we coach each other into the way of Jesus. I want my kids to hand over lots of phones. I want them to walk in the way of Jesus where they see generosity. They don't just read their Bibles at night because that's what Christians do. They witness. We pray for sick people. Every night we go to bed, we pray. I forget now, but they pray. Because we trust in God to really heal people. We're going to walk in the way of Jesus this year. We're going to look at the scriptures and say, please, Jesus, do it again. You did it in Acts, all the way up to Acts chapter 28. We want 29. We want 30. We want 31. Please do it in our day. We can't keep pitching up at work getting our salaries, watching our kids grow older, if we got them. And we finish it all for what? And it's this like rat race, and it's so tiring, and we get to the end of the year, and we do a whole bunch of end of year things, and we start it all over again. And we're tired before we start because we haven't got the fire of God. And we haven't trusted Him to actually take us into the places of discomfort and to really walk with Him. Can we go there this year? I didn't give you a sweet little talk on New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Let's stand. Let's invite the Holy Spirit. The way of Jesus isn't 
It's not a cookie-cut way. It's, it's about looking at Him each day and then having this habit of what are you doing in this room, in this situation? How might I need to receive? How might I be able to release? Where do I need to resist darkness? Receive, release, resist. Receive, release, resist. That's our life. Sometimes you do it all at once. You hand over that phone and darkness flees. Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you pray that under your breath or as loud as you want? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Make a fresh commitment to obey where Jesus takes you. Do you know that I had a number of moments I didn't obey already since I've been drinking the way Kool-Aid? I've had moments where I've seen something I should move towards and I chickened out. Oh, he's so gracious. I felt Jesus said, you don't need to force it. I'll keep opening opportunities. There's lots of darkness and you've got lots of light. This is not about some upgrading or trying to be as good as someone else. This is about walking with Jesus just the way he's always intended. Come Holy Spirit and renew us. Pour out fresh fire on us. Help us to see what you're up to. Help us to look at our workplace, our colleagues, our family, our spouses, our children, our grandparents, our aunties, our uncles, and the way that you look at them. And to see sinking boats and move towards them, to see frantic people and coach them, to move towards all kinds of brokenness. Lord, if there are people who are caught up in darkness, that you would maybe use us to send the darkness back, to send demons fleeing as you did so often. We don't have all the equipping, but you equip us because you've called us. It's going to be a year where God speaks to you. You don't know what it's like to hear God's voice. He's going to start speaking to you. Maybe you do know or you heard a long time ago. He's going to speak freshly. I think there's something fresh happening. I felt like God said this year, something fresh happening in our young people. That's why we're looking to bring someone on staff to help us out with our high schoolers because we believe God's doing something fresh there. We're trusting you, Jesus, to guide us, to go ahead and to pour out fresh fire. We'll turn on the leaf blower, Jesus. We'll obey you and we'll invite your leading. Our commitment is to trust. As we sing, we don't just sing, we take each word as an act of worship to you and say, here's our hearts, Lord. Have another year. Let the joy of obedience be restored to us. The joy of walking in your way. <laughs>